0: And we're at a moment where sort of, all all contradictions are made. Right? Byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism, we find ourselves week in class politics. The
1: classic fucking boomer. Only left maintains relation the relations of neoliberals. Capital! No! Capital! No! Capital! No! no! I right, international, but we're from cameras. Don't run your Alright, you're listening to Doll Capital and. We've got a special guest tonight. We're speaking to Kelly Bowman, a fantastic activist. And we'll get on to Dole Capital, a great program, uh, dealing, talking about class struggle and politics all around Australia and around the world. To get us started, though, this show wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. Thank you to those who are uh, kindly making donations to us via our Patreon account. That's patreoncom ncom forward slash D-O-H-K-A-P-I-T-A-L, Doll Capital. And your support and big thank you to our regular supporters and subscribers for making this show pop- pop possible and helping us update our equipment. If you'd like to get in contact with us, we're on Facebook and in Twitter at Dole Capital, one word, and get in contact with us. But before then, we'd like to remind everyone that this recording is taking place on the lands of the Ngunnawal people. Uh, whose sovereignty was never ceded and who we pay our respect to their eldest past, present and emerging. Now let's get on to the show. Jacob, we've got a corker this evening.
0: Absolutely, mate. Um, Big things happening in the world of uh, the class struggle um, and uh, industrial action. Um, So we'll be joined in this episode by Kelly Bowman. She's a veteran teacher, uh, former Federation rep in the Australian Education Union, Um, and she's joining us today to talk about the situation in New South Wales schools um, and the historic joint strike of the public and independent uh, sector teachers unions, which occurred on uh, Thursday, uh, June 30th. So Kelly, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much, Jacob and Ben. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Yes, uh, we're really happy to have you. Uh, So if you ask pretty much any teacher, uh, especially in a government or a Catholic school at the moment, about the state of the profession, uh, they're pretty likely to answer in a single word, crisis. They'll tell you about escalating workloads, rising complexity, stagnant pay, uh, and a critical staffing shortage. Far too many teachers are quitting their jobs or leaving teaching entirely, and there simply aren't enough graduates being drawn into education to fill the holes. Uh, And it's not just because of COVID. These issues are Far predate the pandemic, and they were allowed to worsen and fester by a New South Wales Liberal government, which is intent on waging war against the working class and against the public sector. Um, so, uh, Kelly, uh, just to begin with, could you take us through maybe some of the day-to-day of how, like, what, how does this cri- crisis manifest in schools um, that you've seen, or you know, what's the worst of what's being seen, especially in maybe like regional, rural New South Wales?
2: Oh, the worst thing that's happening is that we just cannot staff our schools. Today, there were 29 advertised jobs in the New South Wales job fee just for the Queen Bean area. Some Most of them are permanent. Many of them are temporary. And the upshot of that is that kids are sitting in playgrounds every day. Some kids are missing three-fifths of their classes for a day. HSC students are sitting in the library, given textbooks and said, sorry, physics class, you've got to go and teach yourself because we don't have a physics teacher for you. They're doing the HSC. Senior classes are cancelled. There's minimal supervision not only in the playground but in the supervised classes in halls and, and larger combined classes. We've got kids sitting in aisles because there aren't enough desks and chairs for them to sit on in the classrooms simply because we do not have enough Teachers in front of them every day. It's it's horrific, and but it's been a long, slow burn. I remember in the early two thousands, the Teachers Federation telling the government, "Guys, in fifteen years or so, you're going to have twenty thousand teachers resign. What are you doing about it?" And the answer is, sweet FA, they did nothing. They failed to do work for, workforce planning, and. So much for their, you know, their acumen as business managers. They've failed completely to properly staff um, and manage schools.
0: Uh, you mentioned minimal supervision. So just to get give us a picture of, you know, how uh, these shortages are affecting learning, what is minimal supervision? It's a, it's a phrase that cropped up quite a bit during the, um, the strike. And, yeah, can you give us an idea of what that really means?
2: Well, mince up, as the kids now call it, is when you get maybe four or six classes sitting in, uh, in the playground, supervised by maybe two teachers. So they are told to ostensibly get your laptop, you can get your laptop out now and you can do a bit of work, but, you know, in reality that doesn't happen because kids are kids. Then That's not a normal learning situation. That's not learning. Um, and they are really just being supervised to do things like play handball when they should be doing maths or science or whatever their scheduled lesson was that day that they're not getting. It's uh, a mass grouping of students. It's the same as being out in the playground at lunchtime with a teacher making sure nobody kills anyone.
0: Yep, yep. So I think um, that really points out the complete absurdity of the argument that has been, I've seen put across, um, that teachers going on strike at the moment is somehow uh, negatively affecting the learning of, of students, that it's unfair for students to have, to have to miss a day of school. Well, what we're talking about is students going to school on days where they you know, they should be having real classes, Uh, and doing meaningful learning. And the state of the sector at the moment, the state of that workplace for teachers and as a a place of learning for students is such that there isn't learning, meaningful learning happening because of this crisis.
2: Yeah, they're not meeting educational outcomes because they're not being provided with education. They're being babysat. Not because we want to do that. It's just not possible because the Department of Education has completely failed in their duty to staff schools.
0: Yep. Yeah. Um, and so uh, we've got seniors who are, you know, in the lead up to the HSC at the moment, uh, having classes cancelled and being told, sorry, there's no one to teach you um, or, yeah, just come to class and you can sit and do do your work. So how should we expect that to affect students' HSC outcomes or, you know, future, future results in terms of, you know, their entrance ranks or um, their career prospects? Like, is there any way for us to know how severely these seniors are being affected by the, the crisis?
2: It will come out in the wash. How many students will apply for a misadventure when the HSC is finished? You know, how many students will find some other pathway in the university? That completely devalues the HSC. How can it be? How how can we sustain the idea that the HSC is a moderated uh, examination that uh, covers and compensates for all kinds of diversity and difference in different schools, which is what it's supposed to be able to do. Um, when students have had such a varied experience, um, depending whether they lived in a regional remote area where there are no teachers available to, to, in their speciality to teach them, whether they have um, come from a wealthy family where families um, have access to IT resources that students in more uh, underval- underprivileged areas don't have or disadvantaged kids, where is the moderation of that experience when it comes to um, calculating the ATARs. It's it's really a huge mess. I really don't see how this year or the previous year the HSC can be valid. I don't know how universities are going to um, to fairly judge the performance of students at the HSC to compensate for the disadvantaged kids experience. The inequities have been exposed and deepened by um, not only by COVID, but by the complete failure of the Department of Education to staff schools adequately yep. and to plan for a workforce. So,
1: so Kelly, you're reminding me here of that at the other end of the scale, uh, so you've got the secondary um, schools that are going through this crisis. Down at, at the other end of the scale, down in primary school, um, we know, well, I know from my own experience, I mean, I've got relations with are teachers. <laughs> I should put that out, but... Um, At the other end, we really are sort of seeing this, it's very, the similar outcome is that um, young children are, they're not getting the education outcomes um, that they really do deserve and and need to have facilitated and supported there. Uh, Some people, some people some have even said to me that, look, being in um, care is probably, you know, a better staffing arrangement than um, what's happening in some schools in the um, in the primary school sort of setting but um, I guess that's the other part of the equation is that that's also I imagine that's that's also happening in New South Wales as well we're in the ACT but it's very much we know it's um, happening above across the board and I know myself as a parent um, you're sort of kind of scratching your head as to what. What is going to happen with a whole bunch of very young children who've had very disrupted education very early on for a couple of years now? COVID was obviously a huge crisis, but we're talking now from what you've you've people have said and you've, you've said, Kelly, this has been an issue that's been coming and has been coming for a very long time.
2: Mm. And, and the the big bang, bang for buck in education has always been in early childhood, and uh, they have been the most. Probably their outcomes will be much greater, and we won't see the effect of that for years to come, um, because language acquisition, literacy, numeracy acquisition—if that doesn't happen before the age of about uh, eight—it's very, very difficult for kids to later to catch up, and we see the results of that in high school when kids have have had big gaps in their learning that were not able to be um, picked up or or um or helped. Um, it's almost impossible to pick it up later once they get to high school. So there's going to be a long effect from these years. Yeah.
0: So, Kelly, can we turn now to the effect that this is all having on on teachers themselves? Um, What's the the state um, of your average, you know, teacher who's having to, um, you know, stick their head in, like walk down the hall and sticking their head um, into four classes that they know aren't being taught properly or who are... Buried under massive administrative workloads, which I know is another massive um, complaint that's being brought up at these rallies. Um, yeah, how are teachers coping?
2: Well, it's extremely stressful because you, you can't actually put your your energy into doing teaching your own classes because you're constantly called away. Um, it, I mean, when even when my classes were there, I couldn't teach my class because somebody else was away, and I had to supervise then minimal supervision several other classes. So. My kids, even though I was there, did not get the benefit of our teaching and learning experience. Um, your or you, your preparation periods are soaked up by doing extras, um, which is covering absent colleagues because they're sick. But that was happening before COVID, and teachers were pushing back then because we're just constantly asked to do more and more with less and less. I mean, our teaching timetables were devised in the 1950s. The complexity of the job the the march of technological change and the layering every time we had a, a negotiated salary uh, agreement layered more and more work on teachers which became bureaucratic really administrative amplified by technology which supposedly was supposed to make everything easier in fact just gave us much much more work to do and um, the the impact the cumulative impact of this is that teachers are actually pulling their hair out because they can't actually do what they they're there to do to teach their class they're constantly dragged away for mindless administrivia and and it's broken people people are leaving the attrition rate is huge because they can't they can't provide the quality of education that and the joy of teaching that I used to have when I began teaching in 1986 has evaporated under the weight of this bureaucratic administrative, which really at the heart of it comes from a public attitude, a public, a government attitude nurtured by the media and by, um, infested, uh, festered into really what is teacher bashing. And that this is the result of it. It's finally borne fruit. Teachers are leaving and nobody wants to be teacher anymore.
0: Yeah, well, that brings us to the other, like, crucial part of this equation, right? Which is that there just aren't enough uh, graduates, particularly, you know, highly skilled, desirable graduates, making the choice to go into teaching. Um, And so, I suppose. Maybe you could divide that into two parts. One is pay, um, which is a massive factor. Um, teaching, teacher salaries just haven't kept up with um, professions that demand a, a similar amount of education and specialisation. Um, but the other thing is the the social status of teachers um, is, you know, abysmally low in, in Australia. And it's actually the same across the board in Anglo Anglophone countries. Um, when you look at um, other countries, as diverse as, you know, Norway to Turkey to, you know, Japan, um, the social status of of the teacher is significantly higher for some reason than it is in the Anglophone world. Um, So these two factors, maybe there's more to it, you can comment on, Kelly, but seem to combine to mean that there just aren't people coming in.
2: If you look at countries like Finland where the status of the teacher is very, very high, I mean, we have tried to emulate that by ever increasing the requirements, you know, to make it a four and five year degree, five year degree. Uh, we're requiring minimum standard of a master's degree. I mean, Finland did that, but one thing Finland did is it also doesn't spend any public money on private schooling. You know, so basically everybody goes to a public school and they are properly resourced. And therefore teaching is, is, um, a value because that's what gives everybody, uh, that's ex- a shared experience of everybody in Finland. And there's, that, that is a, a stark difference to our situation in Australia. one of the few OECD countries that actually spends as much of our education dollar on private schools. And it's only, that's only gotten worse and worse as years have gone on. And the proof is in the pudding. We're sliding down the Pisa scales. The more, um, uh, administrative burdens they place on teachers. The more they test us, the more they um, try to um, to make us more accountable. The worse our results have become. Mm.
0: Yep. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. Uh, if you forgive my um. My um, lefty Marxist terminology. Um, Basically, if you don't provide a um, material reason for the the bourgeoisie to be invested in the state of public education, um, and they have the option to um, have their children educated very well in very well resourced private schools that aren't available to the working class, then they will prefer the situation that is starting to obtain in Australia, which is the warehousing of working working class children into. Um, but effectively, you know, yeah, babysitting warehouses where they're, they're not getting real, constant, meaningful, um, high-quality teaching and um, educations. Um, and at the moment, that's only happening because of a kind of attrition of resourcing, um, not because of any lack of effort or qualification or you know, um, quality. Teachers in Australia all taught at the same
2: universities. You know, the results. Bang for buck, you get much better bang for buck from a public school uh, system in terms of results. Really, the waste of money in public edu- in education in Australia lies in the gold plating of private schools. It's
1: in the Anglosphere just how bad things have gotten over the last, say, 40-odd years. I mean, we, had, we talk often on this show about the um, rise of neoliberalism and how it's been played out, and particularly in the Anglosphere, sort of countries... Uh, the the march to privatization and defunding of the public sector has been uh, gone hand in hand. If we're looking at, at education, we've we went from having a mass education system, one of the uh, you know it was something that was looked upon uh, very well uh, around the world, um, and then all of a sudden in the late '80s it was decided to basically deregulate it and defund it, and from the higher education and then it's it really has gone all the way down through the system. We have these two tiers going on. Um, whether it's the elite universities, and then there's these other ones, um, the, the the state of um, of um, technical and further education colleges in in, in Australia, you know, look, it's a well known fact it's also being defunded, and we're seeing what's happening in public schools um, in terms of. Yeah, access to teachers um, is, is now we're now at that sort of crisis point. So, I guess it's it's no real like when people are surprised about industrial action that's going on, it's it's been coming for a very long time. And I guess I probably you know just it's it's look it's great to see that and, uh, that educators are, are fighting back in a really determined way and and probably leads us into the the next really the next thing really isn't it that that people have really gotten fed up with being devalued and this is about standing up. Um, for that.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a perfect segue. Thank you. So that brings us, yeah, of course, to this last Thursday, um, 30th of June, and this should drop sometime um, the following this weekend. So um, this will just have happened last week. Um, Teachers in both of the major unions, the uh, New South Wales Teachers Federation, um, which is, you know, a a, um, part of the Australian Education Union, the Public uh, Sector Union, and uh, also teachers from the Independent Education Union, which represents teachers in the non-government sector, have walked off the job together. Uh, and this joint action has been called historic. It's been called unprecedented, um, and strike rallies all over the state and the ACT have been chanting one profession, one voice. So um, Kelly, why is this this so significant and like how is it that um, the public sector and the Catholic sector have come to be so intimately linked, and why are they standing together right now?
2: Well, I think it's because we are all now experiencing the same shortage of teachers. They're experiencing exactly what we are. We're all trained by the same institutions. We're accredited by the same body. They have the same experience as their classrooms as we do now. Okay, the fact that um, they pin teachers' pay to to our pay in New South Wales is uh, they've done that forever. You know, they're piggybacked on the public system in their class based internal funding system, where they get to create. An internal class system by differentiating between their systemic schools, i.e. their poor schools, you know, and then compare, and the top rung St. Joey's, the Riverviews, et cetera. Um, their system is rigged. It's a class system, but they've tied it to us. Um, it's rigged because it disenfranchises workers, many of whom end up pigging backing on our wages once we do the fight, the industrial fight. So that's why they're doing it. They're finally experiencing what we've experienced and they're really hurting too. So it's activated them in their workplace. As, as all um, workers, strugg- workers' activism does, it comes from struggle. They're struggling now. So now they've got something in common with us,
0: yep. finally. Yeah, solidarity through um, collectively experienced uh, adversity yeah. and, and struggle, yeah. And that's obviously a uh, totally um, universal experience or universal part of of the, the labor movement and important thing to keep in mind um, absolutely and so, so that's what, yeah. that's
2: what unites us as colleagues as comrades are using collective action which is born from struggle and it takes a catastrophic struggle to do that and this is what we're experiencing now and that's what's got their feet on the tar with us the mm. neoliberal project of local schools local decisions which kicked off in about around about 2012 um, almost undid us as a union, but they've ultimately failed because teachers know that competing with each other for the merits selection scraps that they tried to um, entice us with actually weakens us. And the cronyism it inspired has become quite short-lived really in our workplace as the statewide staffing system collapses.
0: And we've got... Um we had 20,000 teachers uh, assembling just in Macquarie Street in Sydney um, and then branches all over New South Wales and the ACT. Um, you and I attended the rally at um, uh, at Thoroughbred Park in, in Canberra, which was which was good um, yeah. and nice to see. I, I was also at the previous IEU stop work rally um, about a month ago and it was nice mm-hmm. to see that the addition of the AEU members meant that they'd had to move them down from the, the box in the... Um, in the, the race course, um, right down into the shed downstairs because there were so many of us. Um, that was
1: really good to see. Last time I heard it, there was a demo. There would have been a, your rights at work. Um, there was a very large mobilization out of Farabed Park. I think it was like maybe 2006 or something like that. It was in a. Yeah, very big, but it is a very strange venue in the in our region for a, for a rally, a race course. <laughs> I, think, mm. I think some of our audience <laughs> overseas would be like, "What? A <laughs> teachers' rally <laughs> at a race course?" When we talk about the trots, we're not talking about a political tradition, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, I was going to ask you, Kelly, like how how is the vibe? I mean, I know you've just retired, and and it's it has been we we're talking on off camera, like the fact that you really you, you're still working a lot as a casual, as as a lot of the just the call they're just so desperate for workers and education, but like this industrial action recently, like. Um, what do you think the vibe was? I mean, it's quite historic, as we are talking about before. There hasn't been anything like this. I saw some footage of IEU and AU like Federation members um, joining up in Sydney. It just looked quite incredible. People were quite emotional about it. And, and yeah, well, what's your take on uh, how people felt by um, exercising their, their power democratically to, you know, stand up for themselves? I think
2: it's really ignited a fire. It's set a fire on people. And their activism has been united and every, like we've had three strikes over this now. And that once people have made that sacrifice, they're bound together and they, and they are, they will support each other and that it gives them a sense of purpose and connection that, um, that's comes from the, a shared experience in the workplace. And that sense of belonging is what a lot of unions haven't had for a long time. And that's why there were 20,000 people in Macquarie Street for a teacher strike. And we have got 98% membership, but it's more than just an individual membership for, the, you know, the insurance policy that some people think that they need if they get into some disastrous situation at work. This is a genuine um, feeling of, of collectivism, that people are bound together with a common purpose, and that's why it's so important because people are angry and they feel that they, if they don't do this, they might
0: as well give up completely on teaching. Hmm. And what about the um, the public reaction, media reaction to um, teachers going on strike, Kelly? Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, because there's a fair bit what you see is essentially kind of a moral blackmail um, about teachers who go on strike um, and exercise their right to withdraw their labour to take industrial action um, as a, a bargaining strategy against their employers. And there's this, I think kind of sense in the some sections of the public, um, but I suppose particularly it's the commentary at, right in the media um, that certain professions teachers among them, but you also might consider nurses and we've seen something similar in the commentary around um, rail workers um, strikes in the UK and in Australia in, in New South Wales um, in the last week or two that um, certain workers if you if you're, if you're going to go on strike and it's going to disrupt, um, other people's lives or the functioning of the economy, it's therefore somehow immoral to do that. And I think there's an extra level of that kind of moral blackmail that gets applied to teachers.
2: I think the government has stuffed up. That, that uh, They have changed their tone. I really have picked up a change of tone and I, I've looked at all the um, the news coverage from yesterday that I could see on TV channels and in the papers and I think their tone has really changed because Kids are going home and they're telling their parents, well, "We didn't have a teacher today. We didn't have a teacher yeah. for three out of five of my lessons." The, the, the lived experience of people is not what the commentariat think it is. The first-hand um, experience is the truthful experience, and people are actually in support of us. They, they have seen what what happens when their kids are at home doing remote learning. They see the work that teachers put in. And they know that it's not as easy for them to do that as they may have thought it was. Yeah. There's a reason we went to uni for four or five years. It's because we know some stuff that yeah. they don't necessarily know how to do. And, um, yeah.
0: yeah, there's a guy at the I rally think, um, who said, uh, uh, he. it's a line that I've seen repeated, which is good, but when people say, oh, you know, teachers, they're always whinging and they've, they've got it pretty good to get those holidays, and the line that came up at the rally um, is, well, if the holidays are so good, if you think it's so great, why don't you join us? And that's yeah, so that's what you it's about the it. yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Plenty of jobs on the job feed, off you go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I think the commentariat has changed their attitude and their tone. Despite, you know, their you know, their their burgers, you know. The the Murdoch Telegraph paper is a with their their derogatory headline. I think that fell very flat. I mean, who reads that crap these days anyway? Not many people, you know. Mm.
0: Oh, it was significantly undermined by the um the half page Harvey Norman ad that was accompanying it. I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I think their business model is going is is dying. You know, people uh, are on the ground, people with with uh, kids in schools, know what the reality is, and they're not swallowing that crap.
1: You're reminding me as well, Kelly. That that the kind of emotional blackmail they put um, public sector workers under in terms of, you know, think of the children, for example, whether it's nurses or or teachers, but you're also reminding me of um, public transport workers. Like there's an international aspect. This, this, the dispute going on with the RMT union in the United Kingdom is quite fascinating. The, the, the workers who support the, the maintenance and running of trains in the UK, which is such a huge thing. And then there's just a massive pile on um, going on against them. Just incredible uh, opposition from uh, surprise, surprise the Murdoch uh, press over there and the other private operators, but about, you know, how they're stopping, you know, doctors from getting the hospital and um, you know, uh, veterans from, attack. I mean, but, it's just blowing back. The even despite all that avalanche of um, manufactured opposition by the press, people have sort of see what, what an incredible work these those guys do, you know, in terms of making sure people can go to places. But also we you know, I guess there's that broader issue about like when workers too take strike action, industrial action, people have to sort of then are confronted with thinking about the value of what someone's work is. Uh, I guess is mm. the and the workers who are taking that action get to have that experience of like, well, we do it, therefore we have, you know, some power. So I guess that's um, been wonderful to, to see uh, with people reacting to the the um, cost of living crisis that's going on across the world at the moment uh, and the legacy of that, all those, you know, wonderful neoliberal policies that are coming home to roost right now with, you know, profits leading to inflation everywhere. Yeah. It reminds me of the pay That's cap. Have you got any thoughts about the New South Wales government's pay cap and why it's taken a long time for New South Wales unions to, to have a go? Because this, this, I mean, the firefighters 10 years ago took illegal action and managed to get a win, but I don't know if you've got any views on that at all.
2: It's a rigged system. You know, yeah. we're under a state award um, where we cannot any longer bring work value cases. The last time we brought a work value case, we got 20, we got. Twenty percent pay rises. Yeah, but they've outlawed that. No I
1: don't
2: so Even though, we could, <laughs> no. If, we, if we could present a work value case, we'd probably get a thirty percent pay rise.
1: Yeah, but
2: yeah. the um, industrial uh, relations system has been um, dismantled. They've got all the cards in their hands. Unions have become emasculated by that, and the only way we can fight back is by industrial action. We have to call their bluff. So people ha- it, 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 the situation has got so dire in schools that people aren't prepared to do that. And we have a very well-funded, well-supported, very smart union that manages its business um, very, very effectively, and we're prepared to wear it. If we get a fine, we'll wear it. We've planned a long, long time for this mm-hmm. since Work Choices. We've planned for this and we are going to call them on it. And as Angelo said, we'll, we'll strike on election day if we have to in March next year to get... We will not back down. So they're going to have these knockdown, dragout drag-out strikes going on until the day they either change that public service cap or they get voted out. We are really that solid. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take workers... Mm-hmm. Over the state with that absolute dogged attitude to yep. fight back. If we don't, that will just roll all over us and we'll never get our heads back, back up above the waterline.
0: Yeah, well said. Uh, Okay, Um, I think we're going to take a quick break. We've got plenty more to talk about with Kelly um, uh, for the time being. Um, Here's a great clip uh, from Thursday's rally in the ACT. You're going to hear Nerida Mosley, the principal uh, at Braidwood Central School, and uh, Lisa Stevens, who is the federation rep at uh, the same school, and they were the first speakers at the rally in the ACT on Thursday. Here you go. Literally
1: crossing borders with one voice, one profession. And today is about hearing our voices. And uh, we will be hearing from two very strong voices from across the board uh, right now from Braidwood Central School. Can I welcome them to the stage Nerida the Mosley principal? <laughs>
3: Joint gathering of Teachers Federation and IEU members from across our region. We're standing here together side by side as Federate and Principal of Braywood Central School, and we acknowledge that we
4: live and work on you and country. As teachers, we know that education changes lives. Don't we? Yes. As teachers, we know that education provides countless opportunities. Don't we? Yes. As teachers, we know that education has the potential to address social inequities, don't we? Yes. As teachers, we know that education is an investment, don't we? Yes. As teachers, we are the foundation of the education system, don't we? Agree? Yes. Without teachers, there is
3: no education. There is no future, yet our education system is struggling to attract and retain teachers. There are whispers that there's no shortage of teachers in New South Wales and ACT. We know the truth. We know that schools are going without. We're missing casuals, qualified specialist teachers and counsellors. They ask us, that no school should publish or communicate details about classes that are split, collapsed and uncovered. We know that we're taking extras, providing minimal supervision and sending classes to the quad each and every day. When our system fails to attract and retain teachers,
4: our system fails. We are here today Combined unions. Well, when I say union, you say power. Union! Power! Union! Power! We can do better. Union! Power! Union! Power! Union! Power! And we need to have our voices heard. To hold the New South Wales government responsible for the systemic changes that are desperately needed in education. Changes that they know are necessary. Together, with thousands of others across the state, as you can see on screen, we stand united in the need for change, 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 change. change. No teachers, there is no future. Let's bring that one back out. No No teachers, no future. No teachers, no future. No teachers, no future. No teachers. We (laughs) We stand here as proud New South Wales Federation members. We know that our Federation has commissioned an independent report into the work of teachers and principals and how it has changed since 2004, the report called the Gallup Inquiry. An inquiry that outlines the changes that are necessary. The Gallup
3: Inquiry has proven that teachers are dedicated and committed. It's shown that the level of work change over the last 20 years dwarfs the change from previous pay disputes. In this time teacher salaries while workloads increased, our salaries have actually declined relative to other professions. And so Gallup recommended that teachers should receive an increase of between 10 to 15% in their salaries. They say that no public servant should fall behind, but we know that our salary remains capped well below inflation. And then there are plenty of other industries where we could be learning more money for less effort. They say 3% is all we'll get. We know that that's a pay cut.
4: The Gallup Inquiry has shown that teachers are overworked. Aren't we? Yes. Seriously, that wasn't convincing. Are we, are we, are we from the Gallup Inquiry as for an increase of two hours per teacher per week to allow the adequate time that is necessary for collaboration, for planning, for assessment and monitoring the student progress. Teachers need time. 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 Teachers decline! Teachers decline! Teachers decline! Because we are the ones, as teachers, who make a difference to a child's education. Thank you. Jeff. They say that they don't have specific data on how many hours we work in a week. Robbie. We
1: know that the
4: Working hours are close to 60 hours in a week. They say they have a workload reduction plan. Not one minute of my time, not one minute of your time has been saved.
3: The Gallup inquiry recommends that to better address student disadvantage and to overcome the failures of local schools' local decisions, that the staffing and resourcing of schools must be reset. Permanent teacher numbers must be increased to overcome the shortage of casuals and the excessive use of temporary engagements. They say that Teach for Australia will fix things.
1: Good
3: luck. We know that it has not delivered a single new teacher since its inception. They say teachers are in casual or temporary roles by choice. We know that temporary positions have increased by 70% under this Government's term as more and more teachers are taking extended leave. We know the impact of insecure work on our teachers and on their students. They say that we're not seeing teachers leave the profession in any significant numbers. We know that 7 out of every 10 teachers at the moment across the state is reconsidering their profession, looking for other options, looking for a different future outside of
4: teaching. Yes. Our government is making teachers the whole guys for a failing system. Yes. The current problems in education are systemic. The, st- the staffing shortages is due to poor workforce planning and due to untenable conditions of employment. We put it all, we put it to all of you that it's the government's role to act now, to take responsibility for the reform of the education system. It requires more than merely providing infrastructure. The reform must plan to retain and attract quality teachers for the futures of our children.
3: They say that today's strike is disruptive to student learning. We know that our students' learning has been disrupted in countless ways for too long because of this staffing shortage. And so we say to them staff our schools. Our work. Give us time to do our jobs. education is an investment that must be funded.
0: we're back i hope you enjoyed that little clip from the rally on thursday i really did um there'll be a little bit more uh from the rally we'll we'll close out the episode with uh, a nice little clip um, of all the teachers singing solidarity forever so you've got that to look forward to stick around to the end uh but now we're moving on with kelly bowman our guest the new south wales government has so far made some pretty feeble attempts to address this crisis that we've been talking about so kelly um Tell us about um, the $125 million New South Wales t- teacher supply strategy, um, and has it worked to um, to, to fill some, some empty spots in the New South Wales system?
2: Well, they managed to get one person. They got one person.
0: They must for, have been really good for $125 million.
2: Yeah, so good that they only lasted one month before they bailed.
0: God, okay. So... Okay, so that strategy has obviously been a complete bust. Um, is it likely yeah. that that person came from overseas or from some other context or maybe from another profession um, and has just seen the conditions and the, the situation that they were walking into, which is the thing that teachers are rejecting now and just said, no thanks, not for me? Yeah, yeah,
2: that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, I, I mean, if they haven't noticed, I mean, in Scotland they're doing exactly the same thing. They're advertising for Australian teachers to go over there, you know, so right. we we're, we're going to see each other somewhere in, in the um in in the uh, Atlantic, I think, you know. <laughs> in ships, but yeah, it's just it's a, a problem that is as you say all over the Anglosphere. They want us because we are Anglo and we've got you know comparative qualifications, but the problem at the heart of it all is that the job simply is not paid well enough and the conditions are
0: not good enough to entice anyone. And so what we're talking about with this strategy, uh, basically, is it's a a marketing campaign. Is that right? Like, there's not much more to it than that. So um, as pretty much per usual with the the sort of neoliberal model is that um, money that should be going to actually funding services um, and other things like infrastructure or um, paying, in this case, quality teachers, is instead um, being funneled off to, um, ad agencies and media companies that uh, tend to have pretty cosy relationships with the state and federal governments that um, uh, announce these kinds of policies. That's pretty much the case, right?
2: Yeah. Look, it could be an episode of that ABC show Utopia. Couldn't it? You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, nutting out some dumb idea on a whiteboard and uh, and then uh, which is absolutely based in no expertise in uh, workforce planning or um, or any understanding of the actual job of being a teacher. Uh, so they're
0: just uh, great economic managers, these neoliberals, aren't they? They're just a bit, <laughs> a bit of pissing money up against the law. That's right. So um, another strategy that the Parate government um, has uh, sort of put forward was um, they've Finally, you know, reduced the uh, the pay cap. This is what teachers has been asking for, what public sector workers have been asking for all across the board. So thank God um, we can finally say the pay cap has been increased by?
2: 0.5%, hallelujah.
0: Incredible, half a percent. So from 2.5% to 3% under conditions of inflation uh, between uh, five and 5.2 and probably going up to the mid-7% uh, area by the end of this year. Um, so how, how have um, teachers and how has the you know the teachers' federation responded to that?
2: Well, we're probably more, one of the more numerate professions in the workforce, you know, and <laughs> yep. we we understand that this is actually a real pay cut, and we also understand that it that over thirty years our um, our wages have dropped about fifteen percent, you know, so. We understand that this is just really a joke. It's a slap in the face and um, it's never going to convince people who've already gone out and strike three times in the last 12 months that this is a good deal. It's not going to wash.
0: So last week, the latest idea to be put forward, uh, performance pay for teachers. How do teachers feel
2: about that? It's completely laughable. I mean, it takes no account for the diversity of disadvantage in schools and regions I mean can you imagine the bun fight in um, a partially selective school to see who gets a selective school selective classroom you know yep can they ever measure this effect you know despite um, Hattie and all his studies of um, uh, multiple you know coagulated uh, metadata and how to quantify its workings remains elusive despite mr. Hattie's efforts they still cannot work out what it is that makes um, education work maybe it's because schooling is a social agency you know to do with values and community and connection to achieve excellence we're not a factory producing widgets we're one of the greatest socializing agents in society in the in the world we're not we're not um a factory of process you know with, with a, a belt with kids just getting things shoved on them it's um that's why it's impossible to evaluate what yeah. works in education there's not one scientific study
0: that can work it out. Yeah. No, I had this conversation. I was having an argument. I don't know if you haven't, either of you, happened to see me having this argument with this bloke on Twitter um, the other week about this, um, where he, he, he's saying, like, I don't understand what the issue is. Like, what's the problem with uh, measuring performance of teachers? You can measure the performance of anyone in any job, you know? Um, and, I, and I was like, okay, go ahead. Why don't you tell us all? How would you? Go about measuring the performance of a teacher in a classroom in a way that is number one consistent and number two um, translatable into an actual like quantified number that is you know consistently uh, applied across different teachers in different classrooms. Go ahead and explain how you would do it. And he says, Oh well, it's very simple. You know, um, subjective appraisal by uh, someone in management. They have to subjectively appraise uh, uh the, the the work of an individual being done against a set of performance criteria set of performance criteria and i said okay that's fine okay what are your performance criteria and he says well whatever's deemed important obviously so I, and so the point that i was making is look we're not talking about uh, a, a sort of um, a factory or any really anything in the private sector where you can measure the performance of a single worker against the value that's added to a commodity or a service that is sold at the end of a production process. Yeah, It's quite simple to, to measure value and measure performance against that value when something is being turned into a commodity that can be sold because you've got inputs and outputs. It's pretty simple. Um, last I checked, we don't fucking sell the children when they get to the end of the you know, year 10 or year 12. OK, they're, they're free, autonomous human beings who regrettably are allowed to go and do as they please in the world. OK, uh, we don't get to ma- sort of turn some kind of profit on what we've put into them. So uh, to me, this is like really goes to how it is it's not possible um, to, to really measure performance. It's a completely absurd proposition.
2: Which is why NAPLAN is also useless. It's a yeah. $2 billion waste of money of the public funds which is shoveled into the corporate dollar of Pearson, who gets paid $2 bucks to run this test, which is solely for the purpose of ranking schools and um, putting up on the MySchool website. Um, well, hello, it tells us that generally on that one day when those kids did that test, which is only one day, doesn't mean that it's not the be-aligned or the kids' ability, um, that that disadvantaged school did not do as well as an advantaged school. Well, hello, we already knew that. It's statistically... Um, irrelevant, it's not fit for purpose, and the ASA, the company that wrote that test originally, has said exactly that. Uh, it, it is not possible to quantify, as you say, um, uh, these inputs and outputs in the scientific way that people imagine that they can. Yet they continually try to do this, and it's it's just an excuse for defunding public schools and teacher bashing.
1: Yep. Kelly, what I was struck by Perrottet or whatever his name is, the New South Wales Premier. Do you think they actually have any plan at all for, for settling with with teachers? this this performance pay thing? Like, it's it's been an old um, strange thing that that liberals have been kicking out in Australia over a number of years, and every time it's raised its ugly head, it's been kicked down, um, precisely because the reasons you've just mentioned. Um, you know, we linked it to NAPLAN was part of it, a kind of a Trojan horse in one way. The argument was that that would would expo- expose schools that needed more support and resources, but we know that's not actually what's happened. Uh, we also know that th- this just seems like a knee-jerk. It's all of a sudden turn around and say, "Oh, we need performance pay. If teachers want better pay, well, we need to do performance pay, and that's going to solve it." So, uh, do, th- do you think they actually have any idea at all what they what they, what is the fix? Because I can't see other than like the fact that teachers have gone and smashed the pay cap in New South Wales, a you know, 0.5% up to 3%. So you are only looking at a 4% pay cut this year um, if we accept these sort of numbers. Yeah, I I don't really, I don't really, I, I wonder it, um, it. It looks good to me if teachers and public sector workers keep kicking on with this struggle because it's pretty clear that this parade guide does, is a, lot, a lightweight in terms of actually offering any meaningful solutions. On the one hand, you've got it. Education Minister there saying rather unkind things about teachers. On the other hand, they want to talk about how wonderful they are and we should need to give them special teachers, you know, huge amounts of pay because all the other ones are terrible. It's very confusing. Um, do you have you any more clarity as to what's going on here? Because I don't think they've got a solution.
2: Well, I, I think it's a mistake to overestimate their intellectual capacity, you know. I really don't think they're that clever. Like they're not running BHP, are they? They're not. No. <laughs> giants of business. They've got there through a very small pool in the Liberal Party in New South Wales because they're ideologues. They've just they've been drinking the, the the neoliberal Kool-Aid and that's what they revert to when they can't think of anything else to do. And they're so out of touch with the lives of ordinary um working people that they really don't understand what what working life is they've got a sinecure in the liberal party and they've they've gone from from that to a, a shiny you know leather seat in the new south wales parliament and they really are, it's 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 too easy to overestimate their intellectual capacity they just aren't that smart
0: yeah they're, they're reptilian little sickos yeah
1: yeah <laughs> I can remember the Howard government, um, the greatest hits back in uh, the late late teens, You're just mid to late teens, before Howard was kicked out in 2007, there was a big push for performance pay across the country um, to bring in performance pay for teachers and unsurprisingly a uh, coordinated campaign by educators and their supporters, so it really did well and truly, well, it, it, they got rid of it, they stopped it, Um, stopped it dead by um, politically standing up and organising communities there, but uh, to see this sort of raise its head again, I would have thought we'd won that argument. But I guess it's also, I, maybe this is something for another discussion, uh, but the, we're not helped by the fact that some of the friends of the labour movement uh, accept this idea of NAPLAN and accept some of these concepts that we can have special, you know, Uber teachers when really we we, we need to actually have an increase in resources and those resources need to be paid for via society and, people need to get with the idea that in society it means some people might actually have to pay some more tax and we're talking about the big end of town.
2: Yeah, or if they want to have some luxury uh, education experience for their child, um, they could pay for it themselves instead of expecting the working class's taxes to subsidise it for them. Like, uh, you know, Howard really kicked off this, you know, this idea that you can choose which schools your kids went to and forget about zoning in your local school that your kid could walk to. No, instead let's bust them in zigzag patterns all over, you know, Sydney and this happens here, cross-border in the ACT in New South Wales. Between
0: oh, I mean, any, any ACT resident will know the Morris bus very well.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, and why are why is the Assembly, what, what, our local government, why are we subsidising the, the busing of students from one side of Canberra to the other for their luxury tax? I mean, Howard did that. Kicked that off um, when he um, allowed people to to forget the zoning and send their kids whatever school they wanted. And the government at the time in New South Wales decided that was just so expensive to pay for these bus trips for all these kids. They pulled the funding. They said, "Well, no, um, we're not going to pay for you to, these bus companies to to bus you from you know zigzagging from one end of Sydney to the other." And the parents kicked up such a stink, they caved. And so now we're wearing that. So you get this uh, middle class welfare uh, that we're all painful. for, and they become accustomed to it. So they think it's all set in stone now, you know. But um, probably Carité is even I don't know if he's even aware of that that history in his own government.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's a it's a really it's an important component of the, like the neo- neoliberal ideology and mindset that it is um, a way of existing that. Um, is totally like um, transfixed on the present, and it's there is no history and there is no future, right? There is only um, like power as realized through the market and at any given point of the present, um, and that's really, I'd say, you know, it's just to make a, I suppose, a bit of a philosophical point. Like, I think that's really at the core of this that like um, history history is eradicated um, both as a, um, you know. A resource for us to think about the the struggle and the like the world and these institutions that we're talking about and also you know as a subject in a lot of schools um, like I can talk about um, Gungarlin College in the ACT I know have folded their history into about three other subjects um, that's a specialist senior subject um, so I mean this is a passion of mine obviously like I'm a trained I trained as a historian before going into teaching um, but um, I think there's something really uh, there's something connected and there's something really sinister about the eradication of history and thinking about history from all of this um, discussion and this policy work that's happening, um, that, that, like, we're being fixed in, into this, like, hyper-presentist mindset that um, bothers me and it's I find it to be creepy and really concerning, um, I, although I can't probably articulate exactly why. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Um, maybe that's a good segue um, into... You know uh, what? Maybe we could say is the real issue here, which is these bloody lefty Marxist teachers indoctrinating oh, yeah. our kids. Okay, we can't. So, we
2: can't win. We can't win. We're either with uh, Marxist yeah. lefty teachers or we're a conservative. We were told we were a conservative union today or yesterday.
0: Yeah. But, so, what, who, so this is um, Sarah Mitchell saying this. What did yeah, she say?
2: She said we're a very conservative union, meaning meaning we wanted to entrench workers' rights. You know, well, yeah. Well. Okay. Um, and the other thing she called us once was an obstructionist uh, protection racketeers, you know. which is a badge I wear with pride.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, Now we're the um, Teamsters Union, you know. That's that's where, where we're mobbed up, where um, <laughs> we're standing over,
1: you know. You mean, I think a badge, yeah, obstructionist Marxist, I think, is the, the badge of the Teachers Federation, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's so funny. So, yeah, I'll cut in, we, we won't be able to hear it right now, but I'll cut in Holly Hughes's Um, ridiculous comments um, over the weekend. But I think that goes right back to what we were just talking about, which is the absolute intellectual poverty of these people um, who they, they just sort of, they run their mouths. They have no fucking clue what they're talking about. Uh, But to them, it doesn't matter. Truth, reality, history, none of this is important. What's important is um, creating a, you know, a soundbite or an image or um, an emotion. And uh, it speaks to the desperate need for media literacy and, um, you know, the work that gets done in our public schools, you know, like educating kids about how to read this, this shit that's getting put
1: in front of them every day. Oh, look, I mean, it's good to see we've got a new opposition leader, there, isn't
2: it? Chris Mins, you mean?
1: Know. No, what's his name? Oh, that's Chris Mins. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. Actually, that's the disturb, disturbing bit about New South Wales politics. Like, it's the the one thing where I, I'll i give um let New South Wales Labor off the hook um, as a branch is... Just the complete absence of, like, it's a deliberate policy by the, the mainstream media just to deny them any oxygen at all unless they're having some sort of leadership tussle. It's just it's just sparing, really, um, that's sort of how that happens. But, yes, um, I hope they get their house together and I, I hope they have been coming out and making all the right, um, saying all the right things in support of the Teachers' Federation as they should, along with all the other public sector workers. But I, I don't know. I actually haven't really seen any coverage of what New South Wales Labor is saying about... What is an historic uh, industrial dispute running across all sorts of sectors of the uh, the New South Wales state? So I don't know if, if you guys have seen it
2: They haven't committed to uh, a, a number on the salary cap. They've just basically hit us straight back back and said, uh, "You guys got to fix fix this." They're making it making the current New South Wales LNP government own it. I think right. Oh. That's a strategy, but um, it would be good to hear them say, "Yeah, we need to support a living wage."
0: Absolutely. Okay. So, well, what about the the, um, the federal labor government that's just been elected? Um, obviously, um, when you bring this up, um, it's a pretty common and and also pretty logical retort that, well, education policy under our uh, federal arrangement is is left up to the states. Um, It's the state's business to worry about negotiating with teachers about their salaries and and funding schools and dealing with all that. So um, is there scope for a a new federal labor government to um, intervene here? Uh, And, you know, especially, I suppose it's their historical precedent. I I believe there is. What can they do?
2: Well, they can finally act on the Gonski report without gold-plating the privilege of uh, independent and wealthy class structures of the private schools, recognising that the public system teaches eighty percent of disadvantaged kids. Uh, they could stop the corrupt system whereby the federal government spend eighty percent of the education dollar on private schools. Uh in in a, a crazy structure which they have invented, the eighty twenty split. I mean that's that's a crazy creation. Like we don't have to live with that. We don't have to go ahead with that. Um yeah, when you look at what these private schools are doing with it, you know, um, installing plunge pools in addition to the other aquatic infrastructure, for example, at the King's School in Sydney, you know, they're struggling to find something to spend this money on that we keep throwing into their laps. Um, they've already got reports; they know what to do. They've they've put it off to the next budget, where they said they will massively increase spending to private schools. But you know, when when we're struggling to supply the most basic infrastructure in our school, and some other bloody private schools, got an equestrian centre or a, you know, plunge pool for the principal, and they're going off to to England for a rowing regatta. You know, it's disgusting, and you'd think a Labor government would have a bit of a clue about how to fix that.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other thing that comes to mind, um, actually, is um, I just happen to have been researching the sort of history in Australia of gender equity policy and education. Um, and beginning with the Whitlam government, you have uh, really huge um, policy direction coming right from the top. Um, with the sort of the early, you know, Femocrats of the of the 1970s um, driving gender equity policy um, from the federal government, and then um, also getting involved in the state governments for the first time and, and driving it right through at the state level. Um, but that um, precedent for um, Really robust um, and wide-ranging policy development work that covers um, right from the sort of um, the the department, state department level, right down to the um, implementation level at schools uh, in the classroom. Um, that that's been around for for decades and decades, and of course, it then became um, the the. Uh, the model on which the kind of boys' turn, which is talked about by people like Bob Lingard and so on, um, the kind of moral panic of the 90s about, you know, the, the boys' boys' literacy, boys' education. Yeah, um, and then you had the um, the boys getting it right report in the early 2000s, um, which um, took exactly the same model. So both sides of politics have um, put plenty of energy and treated it as the, the purview of the federal government to um, really um, strenuously direct... Um, direct education policy um, and also, um, you know, big part of the get Boys Getting It Right report was um, an affirmative action policy that was never um, actually implemented but an affirmative action policy for male teachers because we had to get, you know, we had to get blokes in the classroom so we could support these well, boys to become men, you know, this kind of thing.
2: Well, when I was at university and I started in 1979, I was the second-last intake of teaching scholarships, It's taken 40 years to run out of teachers, so there we go. But in that time, for over 20 years up until about 1984, men were allowed into teaching courses with lower marks than women who missed out in an effort to uh, correct the imbalance of um, the male-female ratios in teaching. So you had, um, yet that's not reflected in the who got into promotion positions, so... Even now, we have sixty something like sixty percent of principals' jobs in high schools are held by men, but they are certainly not fifty percent of the population. So, despite those efforts, which a lot of men were not aware of at the time, to to um to get more men into teaching, they still occupied um, the high-paid positions of power in the schools and the organisations. So, you know, it's a nonsense to think that men have somehow suffered. Uh, in and needed support in our organisations. It's um, um, I think it's one of many issues that if the department of government of education in the federal government and in the state government really wanted to um, to throw some money around to do some good, they could. But unfortunately, since 2010, the neoliberal project, which was embodied in the policy of local schools, local decisions. Has um, dismantled all the systemic uh, supports and the the corporate knowledge and the organisational power to deliver a plural system, um, and which actually was much more efficient use of the dollar that they that spend um, has been dismantled into all these little fiefdoms, little fiefdoms where principals had to write their own adventures and work all all this stuff stuff out themselves. On, um, with the idea that somehow it's all different in their little local area and therefore they've got to tailor everything to that. It's a nonsense. When you've got a global system of education, you've got a global system of funding, you've got economies of scale and you can do so much more good with that on a, on a, a mass scale, but they just can't seem to get their heads around thinking, um, in that way. It's, it's, um, it's been a slow death of really what was one of the most impressive public education systems in the
0: world, in the New South of Education. Makes me very sad. Yeah. yeah, it's a tragedy. Um, um, so, okay, we've talked about, yeah, um, what the federal Labor government t- can do. What about, um, the sort of next level down, what about your average Labor member? Um, what would you guys um, recommend that someone, you know, a lot of our listeners are Labor Party members, mostly left members um, in the ACT, um, but... Um, what can any left member do to, to sort of push the party to, you know, maybe take some federal action or at the territory and state level? Um, what should they be doing?
2: Well, I think we could divert some of the funding that goes into extremely wealthy schools uh, with lavish auditoriums and question facilities. So. And let's start spending more of that money on public funds and public students rather than gold plate, the luxurious option for a few of the wealthiest Canberra. We actually in Canberra, um, come closer than any other state to paying, um, to to funding our schools at the standard resource, at the the resourcing standard, which Gonski identified. But why can't we do more than that? Why are we gold plating private schools? Why are we paying to bus kids from one end of Canberra to the other to go to a very wealthy school that has 250 of the school resource in standard while doing that. That's nice questioning.
0: Yeah. And so it's a matter of going, like, turning up to your side branch, um, writing a letter or an email to your local member um, and our federal education minister and your local education minister um, to articulate this stuff, um, to, like, really put some pressure on um, in a meaningful way. If
2: you've got kids, get active in their, their local parent body. Yeah, right. Get on it, so- Exercise some power at that workplace and agitate there on behalf of your kid.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're dead right there, Kelly. There are, there are so many ways to, that people can get involved, just a lot of people don't really recognize it. I think being involved in a parents and citizen um, committees, they look part of what those organizations do is actually advocate for better resources for their schools, and that's a really it is actually one really easy way Labor members or whatever political out, outlook you are, you can get involved in your local PNC, for example, and uh, get an idea of what resources you're after and, and go and advocate for those things. That's one way to do it. Um, but like we were talking about before, I think, yeah, right, getting those motions to federal Labor about well, what are you going to do with the Gonsky funding? like what, what is the priorities around um, fixing the, um, the imbalance that continues to go on in between public and private? Is is a, definitely a it's we're in fertile grounds right now. Is a very good time to be in the Labor Party to start advocating for some redistributive um, policies by the new government. Um, that would be good because heaven knows that the federal conference that happened during COVID was a farce in terms of what we got. Like you know, the platform we went for you know ran on election. It was like who wrote this thing? It was okay. It's done by yeah, done well, by a ten committee, people. You know, yeah. yeah, ten people, and yeah. There was no meeting, <laughs> there, was no, there was no conference, it was a joke. Um, so right now, people are like, well, you know, we, we now have the chance we can. We've decided that we can live with COVID, great. Uh, we can also, those organisations can live with members of their organisations saying what they want and so people need to get involved and, and advocate for those those things around funding I think is part of it. But I am also thinking like in New South Wales, the other bit is just getting behind all the public sector workers that are taking industrial action. I know that the tra- r- rail, bus, and tram um, workers are looking to take action in Sydney. Um, you know, there has been noises that the, you know, maybe the firefighters might do something. We know the nurses are doing things, but um, it's pretty easy for us in the ACT to go across the border or they, they even come over to the border like they did this week to take industrial action. So get behind any strikes that are going on and um, use whatever means you can. But I think there is an opportunity, I think, to carry out that argument about um, more equitable funding and education is definitely rife and making those. It's time to sort of settle some scores about. Um, this neoliberal funding model we've seen to have. Autonomous schools hasn't worked in the public sector. It's been used to defund things.
2: And, and workers need to get behind more than just pay their dues. You know, they need to understand union membership, not just insurance policy for a crisis, you know, for an individual employee. We all have a responsibility to act collectively and to do our bit in a campaign to share the burden of sacrifice in a collective struggle, you know. But that's why the Catholics have actually, you know, joined us because we share that experience. And, um, you know, the cult of individualism has no place in a collective Mm. struggle. There might be some decisions in a union I'm not, you know, 100% happy with at times, but I know I can tolerate a degree of divergence because I know that they've got my back when I really need them, you know. And let's face it, we're united by common experience and we're all in the same boat in our workplace. And that has to be what binds us together. If that's not there, it's hard to be a union.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: that's it. 100%. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm tempted to leave it on that note because that's a, a really good uh, note to leave it on. But there's one thing that I'd just like to have a little gripe about before we do leave, uh, which is that, so, yeah, as i said before, I'm a, I'm a pre-service teacher. I'm at the University of Canberra. I have not heard a single word from any of the, the teachers, the academics um, in the Masters of Teaching, secondary teaching or the education program in general at the University of Canberra about any of this stuff um, they're not talking about it um, they haven't communicated about the strike even given that oh, there are a bunch of students including myself who are currently on placements at schools that are affected by <laughs> stop work wow. with the single exception with the exception that on Wednesday an email came through informing all students who were on placements that uh, they were to either uh, find another teacher at the school who wouldn't be striking to go and do classes with on the strike day uh, or, to take the day off, and their day would not count as a um, a day towards their placement. So I just thought I'd note that. I think it's a really outrageous um, and conscious, active stance that the university is taking, and it's really sad to see a lot of teachers, former teachers who have moved up into the you know, um, initial teacher education um, sphere, um, not you know, not standing with the teachers who are on strike, basically. Um, and actually encouraging pre-service teachers to scab effectively. I mean, I know when we don't get paid to do our placements, but it certainly feels like it. Um, so yeah, that's just something else I wanted to add before we, before we wrap up. That's disgusting. I mean. Yeah, um, it's it's gross. Yeah, so look, sorry to leave us on that slightly bummer note. Is there anything either of you would like to add before we wrap up?
1: Well, I'd like to say it's been great having Kelly on. It's been fantastic. It's been fantastic. Yeah. I really love the 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 vibe uh, that Kelly has been exhuming in this conversation we're having about the um about those strikes because it has been it has been wonderful to see because I, I I'm I'm a bit older than a little bit older than Jacob and I, I do remember like that. It's been a long time between. Um, drinks for this type of thing go to happen in New South Wales, particularly in the, edu- like the education sector. When you might have a set piece every couple of years, oh, yeah, we'll go out for the bit, but they have three strikes so far and more to come uh, is amazing and that uh, looking up with the private sector, uh, you know, non-government school um, educators has been incredible to watch and that's probably something other workers, I mean, I think the inspirations there for uh, workers that aren't in the public sector is to look at, well, how these people, how these workers go, will impact on how bargaining is going to go. It goes into the bigger argument what happens in the federal uh, industrial laws around how we, you know, changed our rotten, broken Fair Work Act. So there's lots of inspiration there, and, and, and um, I really appreciate Kelly talking to us today because. Um, there are big topics and obviously it's um, there's a huge fight that needs to happen and a lot of that's not going to come unless people, like Kelly was saying, um, backing each other in the workplace and building their power in the workplace and linking up with others is the key, exercising some power over our future rather than having, thinking someone else is going to do it for you because they're not. They've got their own thing going on. that You need to push them. Yeah,
2: yeah, we're not powerful. When we act together, we're very powerful.
0: Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for being with us, Kelly. It's been fantastic talking to you. Um, and we'll uh, leave you now, dear listener, with um, the teachers of the ACT and surrounding parts of New South Wales singing Solidarity Forever at the rally last Thursday. Thanks. Thanks,